0: It is, at first, it's scary because, you know, it's not, it's not a ton of research. I'm not presenting research. I'm exposing me, right, to the world. This is what I think. This is how I do it. So there's a scary moment of being like, do I really want to expose myself in that way?
1: If Better Tomorrow is a movement that's focused on helping others achieve their full potential, then Larry McAllister is the personification of the mission. For over three decades now, he's been out there in corporate America, enabling others to perform at their best, to be fulfilled by their daily work, and to believe that there are always opportunities to become better, both as professionals and as everyday people, working to raise families and to succeed in this world. I'm humbled by the fact that we're friends now, and that we spent the better part of the spring this past year, meeting over coffee, sharing lofty and audacious ideas, and like he's apt to say, keeping each other sane and grounded throughout the process. Larry also happens to be an international best-selling author, having published the often-referenced book, The Power to Transform. And perhaps most importantly, he's a graduate of the University of Southern California, which might make me his favorite podcast host, being that I'm currently a doctoral student at USC these days. This is our very first episode of 2024, and I couldn't think of a more fitting guest. This was my conversation with Larry McAllister.
0: I'm in my third chapter of my adult life. I think chapter one is raising your kids for me and raising your career you know, trying to get up as high as you can, right? You just, more money, more kids, buy a house, you know, all day, all those classic things. You know, you're always on the grind. And then you reach like a VP level. And then you're really influencing through others and helping others grow their careers and having as much execution and impact as possible. And the tail end of that was the past, say, 10 years when I worked for two Fortune 500 companies as the head of talent to transform. So how do we make the employee and manager better? You know, I changed the name of my team from talent management to talent enablement. I want to enable you, give you the best ideas and the best technology. And as the tail end of that, about year three, the pandemic's over, just did a big transformation. I was sitting at the kitchen table at Christmas. I was like, this is the last year. I don't think I'm going to make it another year in the corporate world. <laughs> and, and at that moment, people were telling me, you should write a book. You should write a book. Because the transformation we did, you know, we brought in eight pieces of technology in three years and changed the you know, you, you saw the, the, the whole activate, you know, idea. Um, so I started talking about a book and I, the first word that was in my head was a field guide. I didn't want to write a classic business book. So when you read this book in a couple of months... Um, It's basically my voice. You know, it's not necessarily proper English. (laughs) It's just me telling you how to do it. I want to help HR folks think that they can be transformative, not just babysitters or not just, you know, mandatory trainings and collecting documentation. You should be transformative. And I think we really learned about that in the pandemic. Everyone had to really transform the way we thought about business. So if you're a transformation person and a technology person, HR, you can get out of the out of the old ways people thought what HR did. So that's what I'm hoping the book does, is field guide to helping you make a difference.
1: You mentioned earlier that folks have been prompting you to write a book for a while now. And while I've harbored the dream of publishing my own book one day, I realize how difficult the process can be, even if you're elite in your ability to express yourself and to share your thoughts. Curious to know what finally drove you to put pen to paper, as it were, because I've got to believe the inspiration came from somewhere really deep in your mind, if not your heart.
0: So I was always creative. So when I was, I became like the youngest director of learning and development at Citibank years ago. And and they're like, congratulations, you're the youngest director. First time we've had this title here, but you have no budget. (laughs) So I literally hand created trainings, um, you know, and, and did videos of myself so other people could use my training in other parts of the bank. So I was always creative and trying to not do it the old fashioned way. That was always part of my gig. But I, I really can divide my professional career um, into being before getting laid off and after being laid off. So I was at a company that was a really tough culture, didn't fit me. I was a business partner to this guy who Brings me in the room, has me put up all the names of the directors in his group and said, fire that guy, demote that guy, move this guy to report to this person, to this woman, because I know they hate each other. And I was like, oh, my God. And then I ended up not working out and ended up getting laid off. Well deserved. It wasn't their fault. It was my fault. But at that moment, I'm like, I'm never going to just take the route of what they expect of human resources. I'm never going to do that ever again. You know, I'm gonna come in with, I'm a transformer. I didn't use that word back then, but you know, I wanted to change. I wanna use technology. I wanna use new ways of thinking to, 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 to make sure that managers and employees are having the best possible experience. My professional dream with the book and consulting is to help HR folks and, and tech companies think bigger um, and not just features and functions, but what solutions are we working together to, to provide? Right with a talent strategy and a tech strategy. Personally, though, what irks me, like what really gets under my skin is like HR jokes. Oh, here comes HR, here are the police. You know, they're coming to get us. We're in trouble now. That just irks me so much. I just want to shatter that idea that HR is here to get you in trouble or to babysit you. You know, I want to be like, we need HR in this meeting because we're about to make some big changes and we need their voice and their expertise. That's my goal. If we're being called in to CEO staff to say, what are we going to do about this? I mean, I remember we were talking about hybrid work or, you know, um, activating yourself and the team and the enterprise in the future, like big changes to the company. If HR is not in that room, hopefully this book helps them get in there.
1: So I'm not sure how you feel about this, but I'm relatively comfortable bringing up this point of discussion, being that we initially connected through the fuel of HR technology, I just feel that we as workers and as corporate citizens tend to mislead ourselves into believing that someone else, something else, maybe the HR department, will literally make us happier at work. Seems to me like there's an unrealistic expectation there. That the onus is on the individual themselves to find environments in which they thrive. And I know this is easier said than done. But to also leave situations where things just aren't working out. I mean we can't just allow others to dictate our well-being can we?
0: You know that whole idea of the whole person approach um, where if you are unhappy at home you're probably not going to be as productive at work unless you're totally bifurcating that and throwing yourself into work which is probably making your home life worse and vice versa, you know, when you, if you come home pissed off after a bad day at work again and again and again, that's definitely going to affect your home life. You know, your mental fitness, your ability to stay healthy um, for both sides of home and work is is super important. And I think that really came to fruition during the pandemic because the line between work and home, that demarcation line just disappeared right? I'm sitting in my living room, right? I mean, so how do you build your own personal demarcation lines to be able that you stay healthy on both sides? You will do it different than I will do it, right? Some people like at five o'clock, I'm shutting it off or I won't start until 10 or whatever. Um, But I think every individual needs mental fitness. It used to be we were lugging rocks and bricks around during the industrial age. So you needed big muscles, but now it's all about your, your head, your heart and your soul. So, mental fitness, mental well being is so important. And I'm, and I'm spending the rest of this year speaking on that as much as I can. Companies at, at base are soulless, they are a profit making organization. That's always going to be the bottom line. So, I think it's our job, HR, companies like BetterUp, um, to inject the humanity, the human centric part of what companies do. And I think we've seen a lot more with like sports figures and athletes talking about mental health uh, and really, you know, pursuing that as um, a campaign, care about your mental health, it matters. So I think companies, and I think, you know, if there's a silver lining from hybrid, everyone got burned out, everyone was languishing. So the idea of companies caring, if you can get on your pulse survey or on your or on the backend stuff, I'm better up to say... I really feel you care about us, which we were getting during the pandemic, you're winning that battle, right? If people feel cared for during downtimes, that what can more competitive advantage is there than that? You know, and we know, you know, I just saw a lot of data at this conference that your mental fitness and you're able to be agile mentally is the leading differentiator from successful companies to non-successful companies right? Like being mentally fit has higher sales rate, higher sales velocity, higher achievement of goals. Um, if you can invest in only one thing, it would be your employee's mental fitness. I mean, your body is a machine in a lot of ways. You gotta, it's a muscle, it's a giant muscle and you got to keep fit. It's like going to the gym, right? You have to, and I, have been doing a lot of research. I read atomic habits. Um, I took this online course uh, called the science of Well Being from Yale. So I'm really looking into it. Cause now when you're on your own, if you're not working in a corporation, you make up your days, right? You you make up your happiness. <laughs> so I'm really studying how to do that. And I think companies need to take a stand and help people understand that.
1: I really love what you're saying here about maintaining our mental fitness and how it's a work in progress, right? It's something we have to be intentionally focused on throughout the entirety of our lives in order to be happy and healthy people. Because it doesn't just happen for any of us. And Larry, I want to acknowledge how great it's been to become part of your ecosystem and to see firsthand what it means to enable others to become better versions of themselves. I've got the feeling we think very much alike, but for those listening, i love for you to delve deeper into the importance of shifting our mindset.
0: So I was at that conference of Better Up, and Dr. Martin, I can't remember his last name, he was the father of uh, positive psychology. So Freud and those guys were always, this is him, I'm quoting him, this is not me. Freud and those guys were about, hey, life is miserable, we'll try to get you not depressed. So that was negative psychology. He was the father of positive psychology. So he just came out with a study that they looked at. Almost a million U.S. Army folks for five years to say um, what makes people productive, not falling apart, not getting PTSD, or if they get PTSD, they can recover and be stronger from it. And they looked at all these different factors, and it comes down literally after five years to optimism. If if your core base is optimism, like we are going to get through this. As opposed to pessimism, which is, oh my God, we're never going to get through this. Higher cases of PTSD, higher cases of alcoholism, higher cases of, you know, falling apart in battle, stressing out. So having I can get through this is is the, the biggest study ever done uh, is optimism versus pessimism. I can get through this. We're going to get through this, and then that infects others. Um, so we ever so everyone asks them, well, what if I'm not a positive person? What if I'm not an optimistic person? And I love this advice. Everyone's thinking this is big rocket science. He's like, identify the voice in your head that's telling you things. Identify it, right? Your self-talk. Identify it know when it's happening. Step two, treat that voice like it's trying to ruin your life. Because it's telling you you're not good enough. You're rejected. Um, You're not lovable. You're never going to be successful. You have to treat that like it's someone sitting in the room telling you that. And you have to fight with every piece of your value to make sure that voice does. You don't believe that voice. It is your enemy. Uh, And I thought that was like simple but genius and not easy to do. But I found myself doing it. Like I know when my voice is coming. It's like right when I wake up. You don't have any any new customers today. Oh, my God. You should be sad. (laughs) I'm like, shut up. (laughs) I know what you're trying to do. (laughs) So I really believe that. Uh, and I, you know, I, I was like, that makes so much sense. Cause I believe I was always an optimist and I had a, a manager tell me early in my career, Hey, Larry, you know, the glass isn't always half full and your team shouldn't think so either. I was like, God damn, what? Like, what kind of lesson is that? I'm like, geez, like that's my core. And then I was, I was, I had dinner with um, the um, psychologist the last two weeks ago and I was saying, I really believe, like so self-reflective now, and this is part of my life. Optimism leads to inspiration. So, if you're optimistic, you can inspire your team. Inspiration leads to aspiration. I'm, I'm aspir. I can do something that I don't believe that I could. Like I believe we can do something bigger. So, if you have optimism to inspiration to aspiration, that's transformation. So, I really believe. You're not going to be a transformative leader if you think we can't get through this. So the optimism, so the, what I learned through this past couple weeks, optimism is the kernel that transformation grows out of.
1: You know, I've likely mentioned this to you before, but one of the many reasons I founded this movement we call Better Tomorrow is because I've been searching for a long time now for practical ways to make it through my work life and to be relatively happy throughout building a career and becoming financially stable. And while I personally don't believe in any silver bullets or overnight solutions, I do think there's a lot to be said about how we frame the present moment, even if we're right in the midst of the struggle.
0: Remember um, Stephen Covey, Seven Rabbits of years ago? I think it was him who said there's this idea of laser thinking. So laser thinking is you're putting all your energy into something right now. Don't let anything else get in the way of you thinking about that. And sometimes that laser thinking is sitting on the couch, staring at the wall, (laughs) right? Just doing nothing, just relaxing, or you're going to the gym or you're reading or you're writing or you're at work or you're about to do a presentation. I think what happens is corporate folk. And I was like this, when I talked about the first chapter of my career, it's like, climb, climb, climb. To my detriment, right? Like I gained a lot of weight, right? And, and you know my health would suffer during those times. I was heavier when I was more successful or, or trying to be more successful. My weight was bad. Um, so you have to find time to laser think on other things. Because in the corporate world, you could think about work 24 hours a day. You can literally let that creep into your life. And you have to figure out ways to do other things and find ego-building, self-esteem-building things that are not a promotion. And to me, that was like running. That was my savior. Like I started running after, you know, I got laid off. And now I don't run as much anymore, but I walk at least five miles a day. Uh, It's really the time where I'm thinking about, I try really hard not to think about my consultancy. I try hard to think about other things or listen to a podcast or record myself with ideas of what we're going to do for vacation or something like that. I try to like block it. Now, sometimes I'm like, all right, I have a salute. I have a problem in my head. I can't find a solution. Let me go for a walk and just think about that. Like purposeful. Uh, so I think, you know, laser thinking is an old term, but purposeful intent of what makes you happy.
1: I appreciate you, Larry, for your contribution to my journey especially during this past year when things haven't always worked out as intended for me. And I'd be remiss not to thank you for everything. What I'd love to do now, though, is to hand the mic over to you and to get your thoughts on a question I've asked all of my friends on this podcast. In your mind, how do we make tomorrow a better version of today?
0: I do think it falls under this idea of The whole person and and agility, mental agility. Um, It's very easy in the middle of your career, say, to languish. You go to your job, you know how to do it, and you collect a paycheck. I think this back to being like, how can I be inspiration for aspiration? You know, how how do I talk inside a company that is inspiration and aspirational um, to help others? You know, succeed through others, grow others in a way that they might not see, create new paths for them. Uh, I think that's all of our job, you know, true leadership is not just managing a team. It's, it's helping people open their own doors, guiding them to a path that they can open their own doors to a better tomorrow. Uh, And I think anyone, whether you have a team or not, your voice matters more than you think inside a company and people want to learn, you know, like I I say, when, you know, people ask me how, you know, I don't want to be nervous when I, step on stage to present. And I was like, 90% of the people in that audience want you to succeed, right? They're not there hoping you fail. Uh, And I'd say 90% or 95% of people inside of a company want to learn, want to grow and want to have better relationships. So use your voice for a positive tomorrow.
1: Hey fam, I just wanted to thank you again for listening to this podcast and for spending so much of your valuable time listening to these thoughts of ours. If you haven't already seen the promotion, we're launching our very first Better Tomorrow program of 2024. It's called The Road to Madison, and it's a progressive journey towards home ownership and property investment through reframing our thoughts on real estate, discovering our true potential, and devoting ourselves to building a legacy that stands the test of time. You can find all the important details on our website or just send us a note. It's info at btr-tmrw.com. And yes, we're actually going to Madison, Wisconsin to wrap up the program.